Welcome to the PA Books podcast. PA Books is a production of PCN, the Pennsylvania Cable Network. This program features interviews with authors of books on Pennsylvania people, history, sports, business, nature, and politics. While the focus is always on Pennsylvania, topics like the Revolutionary War, the Battle of Gettysburg, the Industrial Revolution, the coal and steel industries, and authors like John Updike, David McCullough, and John Grogan have a universal appeal. We hope you enjoy this podcast. This week on PA Books, Bob Fernandez, the author of The Chocolate Trust. Bob Fernandez, author of The Chocolate Trust, Deception, Indenture, and Secrets at the $12 billion Milton Hershey School. What got you interested in this book? Um, well, uh, uh, in 2001, um, uh, you know, we all have known about Hershey, and uh, I'm basically curious about co corporations, and I'm also have been curious for years about charities. Um, in 2001, um, uh, uh, there was these uh, Knight Ritter, Knight Ritter which used to own the Inquirer and the Daily News, um, had uh, uh, two reporters that w were doing a series of uh, uh, slave labor in uh, child slave labor in Africa, uh, and they were doing this through the Washington, their Washington bureau, and they were over in Africa, and they put together this series. It was I don't know a three or four part series, and one of the days was about um, uh, child sl labor, forced child labor, sl child slave labor in the cocoa fields in in West Africa. And um, as part of that, the Enquirer wanted to run the series because Knight Ritter would, you know, make it available to all its newspapers. So to sort of put a sidebar or a local angle on the piece outside the big, big article, they asked me to do a sidebar on Hershey. What were they saying about, you know, did they know about this, these allegations that there was child labor, slave labor in the cocoa fields? Were they doing anything about it? At that point, I don't know whether or not I knew that the, the company was controlled by this school, the charity. Um, but I did, as I did the sidebar, and I talked to them, and I talked to the co some top executives out there. And at that time, they claimed in 2001 that they didn't know that there was child slave labor in the cocoa fields, which, of course, cocoa is a raw material for chocolate. And um, if there's slave, la slave labor, that would be mean there would be low cost for cocoa or raw material, which would be good for profits. Um, and so as I was doing the reporting, there were some other stories coming out globally about slave labor in the cocoa fields. They told me they didn't know anything about it, but they would get on it. Um, and so I wrote this sidebar, it was published in the Enquirer, and it was actually republished in other papers. And that was sort of my first experience with Hershey. Um, and I thought it unusual that um, uh, a charity controlled the corporation. Though there, there was another instance like that in, in here in Philadelphia with, uh, you know, the William Penn Foundation had a big stake in Roman Haas. So it was sort of a Pennsylvania thing, I guess I'd call it. Um, I guess I, I was troubled that, I, I, as I looked into it, that this school for poor kids started for orphans, uh, owned this company, controlled this company in which it relied on, on child labor, you know, uh, because you'd have the company relying on uh, uh, the child labor in Africa to boost its profits. And then those profits were then in turn sort of funneled to this charity for poor impoverished kids in America using those profits. So you, 
you were, you were sort of taking advantage of poor kids in Africa, but helping them in America. And um, I found that odd. Uh, and, but I didn't really do anything about it. I mean, at that point, Hershey, uh, the, the, the Knight Ritter pa Papers articles were republished. And it had a big impact in Washington. And immediately, Congress began looking at trying to label, uh, passing a law to label uh, products, chocolate products. And of course, um, as whether they were child labor free or, you know, like they do now with coffee and stuff like that. Um, and Hershey and the other chocolate companies, they, they, they got together and they sort of came up with a solution, the self-regulation solution, where they would go out and they would make sure there was no children in the, in the cocoa fields. And so there was no law passed, but they agreed to voluntarily fix the problem. And so that was sort of the end of the issue, right? The industry was going to solve it. That was it. So I, I didn't do anything with Hershey, but it was, it was always on my mind. So when did you decide to sit down and write this book about Milton Hershey School today? Well, um, so again, this is a long story, but um, in 2007, um, uh, Hershey announced at that time that they were going to close their historic factory in downtown Hershey that made chocolate, which for years was, you know, the largest chocolate factory in the world, a big Pennsylvania employer. Uh, and this was coming at a time that a lot of factory jobs were moving to a Mexico. So um, my managing editor, who seemed to have a fascination with Hershey, like I eventually did, said, we should do a story about you know, them closing the Hershey factory. So why don't you go out there? So I went out there and I did a story about uh, um, uh, Hershey closing its chocolate factory to boost profits. Again, the chocolate company's owned by the school. So it's closing the factory in Pennsylvania, which employs working families, and uh, moving it to Mexico to boost profits. So I did that story. I think it was it had a headline called Chocolate Town Meltdown or something like that. And, and as when I was out there, uh, I stopped by the school for the first time. And um, I had an interview with the president and the PR person and the general counsel because I said, hey, I'm going to do a sidebar on the fact that the school exists and owns the chocolate company. And uh, so I did that. And, and I, I kind of, it was kind of a... I felt like it was an unusual experience. They have this big building, it's called Founders Hall. It's sort of like a, a tourist attraction, but there's like no kids there. You get this feeling of an institution. Um, whatever, I, I, I did a story, a sidebar in the school, what they were doing at that time. They were expanding the kids and this and that. At this point, I, I was sort of, cons you know, sort of like, it was very rich. I didn't really know much about it. Uh, I didn't know any kids that went there, didn't know any educators, um, they, all, they had all these assets, and so I just left it at that. I said, they're expanding and, and they're growing their students. Um, two years later, uh, uh, Cad, uh, Hershey made a run at Cadbury to merge, because you know, Hershey was the largest chocolate company in the world, but then it, all these other companies merged and went global and it started falling in the rankings. So I did, a st I did stories about how uh, the, they were trying to merge with Cadbury, and then that failed. And then in the inquiry, the managing editor kept on going, I think this Hershey stuff is pretty interesting. And, um, and so I said, you know, I don't think we should look at the company. Everybody looks at the company. I said, I think we should look at this trust that controls the company and controls the school. Because Milton Hershey's real legacy was the school. He put all his assets into the school. Um, and it just seems to have been controversial over the years. So um, 
they said, okay, do some look into the trust. So then when I started looking at the boards of the trust, I started seeing these uh, interlocking boards. And Tom Ridge was on the chocolate company board. And I was thinking, why is he on the chocolate company board? And then Roy Zimmerman, the former two-term attorney general and very powerful Republican, was the head of the trust. And I'm thinking, what does he know about impoverished children? And, uh, and then I you know, started looking at the compensation. And then I would say that year, 2010, just, I just rolled out a number of stories um, there was the story of Charles Coons, the, the serial molester who they, who, who uh, about five kids, they, they settled with him. I mean, they say claimed that he had molested them and they settled he several million dollars. He was a, um, uh, Charles Coons went to the school over decades as the son of a part-time house parent. So, you know, the school is a, is a residential school. It, people, kids live there like a boarding school, go to school. So they need house parents to look after the, the children during the day. So he, he'd been going there for decades. He was probably the most prolific uh, pedophile in central Pennsylvania. And so he had open access to the school. I did that, a story on that. I did a story on the compensation. Uh, you know, uh, 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 Roy Zimmerman making $500,000 a year and most of the board members making at least 100 a year. And this is a charity. Um, and then I found this golf course that they bought. <laughs> Uh, for which they overpaid for, and then they put this uh, uh, five million dollar clubhouse on it using school funds. So it just was this sort of accumulation of information and curiosity, and and sort of uh, sort of absurd things that this it seemingly absurd things this charity was doing that kind of kept me going. What kind of reaction did you get to your stories? I mean, you, were you taking on a, 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 a beloved icon? I, 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 I was, I was, you know, I, in central Pennsylvania, there have been times when the trust has been, uh, it's been controversial, right? It, it was investigated by the AG, Ernie Prate, in 1994. It was investigated in 2001, 2002 over various issues. So, so I think nationally it has a great reputation because it's got this halo of the Hershey brand and it's a $12 billion school that educates impoverished kids. How could you go wrong, right? But when you, go, when you started digging down and you started looking at the enrollment and the controversies and the people who led it, um, uh, the questions, you know, you started asking questions. And yes, the trust was very upset of the stories I was writing. Um, you know, the vice president of communications got on a train and came here and talked with my editors about whether I knew what I was doing or not. Um, but they kept on presenting, saying I wasn't getting it right, and then they weren't presenting how I was getting it wrong. And, and all the data I had was all, I had documents for everything. They just were not used to the sort of the, the relentless pressure and the looking. Well, and, 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 you know, then she, and they sent letters and these legally sort of loaded letters. Well, a little background about the school. How did it come to be that, uh, that a candy company was owned by a nonprofit school? All right. So with the book, um, you know, uh, um, I felt I, at some point I said, there's a story here. How can you get to have a school where you have a, control, uh, a charity controlled by local politicians paying its directors all this money? Um, uh, it has no sort of reputation nationally. Um, it, it had to have come, it had to have come out of somewhere. There has to be some history here. And so uh, 
the point of the book is almost like a history of the trust with a, with a focus on the recent scandals and problems. And, um, you know, I, I think that the, the problem begins with Milton, with the school. So when you have an or so it's, it's sort of a, an orphanage, right? That's what they say, the Milton, Milton's orphanage. Um, well, when you look at it it, 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 it took orphans, but it took only a select group of orphans, and they, it wasn't really like an orphanage that you think of. When you think of an orphanage, you think of a, a child without parents or maybe one parent that's poor, poor or can't care for the kid. They put them in an orphanage, and then they stay there. Well, what he, what he created was when he went to Hershey, he bought up all the land around Hershey, made the town, and then bought all these dairy farms, right, he, so he could control his milk production. Um, he also needed to staff those farms. He brought in tenant farmers to, to run them. Um, and his, his, so his orphanage, he, he lodged the boys on his farms. And the requirement was that they, they weren't full orphans. They had to be fatherless orphans. So there was a mother. And, um, when, and uh, when she put them in his school and orphanage, she signed these uh, indentures, which were contracts. Um, and uh, they stayed there. Um, but if they, didn't, if they didn't live up to his expectations, he could always send them home. Okay. I want to ask you about the word indentured, because right. you hear the phrase indentured servants is something from the colonial era. So what, what did it mean to be an indentured student at his school? <laughs> right. So I think this is, a, I think this is a, a, a controversial topic in Hershey. Um, and I think that even the one review at the Hummelstown uh, 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 paper of my book said, you know, uh, indentured slaves or, or whatever. Um, and that's laughable that that's what it was. And I was very careful in the book that I never said indentured slaves or indentured laborers. These were indentured students who lived on Milton Hershey's farms that were integrated into his business interests. Um, uh, so, so they would milk the cows and the milk would go to the candy company? It would go, it would go to a creamery, which would then go to wherever it went. It was never clear. Okay, but these were also farms that grew wheat and hay. They had pigs or turkeys. Okay, he had a whole, he had 10,000 acres. A lot of it was farms. And he had st stores and, you know, uh, meat stores and stuff like that. The indenture, uh, and I didn't think people would believe me that the kids were indentured, so I actually put an indenture in the book so that I could, <laughs> people could say, no, that's not right, you didn't get it right, they weren't indentured. Well, I, I, I got access to an indenture and I published it. Now, I think the way it worked in that time, you could, if you had, an, if you had a charity case child um, and the government needed to care for them, and there wasn't social services. Um, there was uh, this mechanism in which you could send a child to a farm, a farm, just a farmer, and you could they could be indentured on that farm, and they could effectively work their charity off, live there and work their charity off. That was allowed in Pennsylvania, and I think he basically took advantage of those laws. I'm not saying take advantage. I think he used those laws in the school. Um, it gave him, personally, I, I, I think that, um, I, I think Milton was a very charitable man. Obviously, he put all his assets in school and for, for forever. Um, I do have a 
you know, I have concerns about his indenturing practice because you're taking what, what was basically economically powerless mothers who had lost their husbands and were now impoverished and didn't know whether they could raise their kid, their boy. He's saying, I can raise the boy for you, but you have to sign this contract. Um, and the contract says he's going to live by, you know, on this institution. He's going to uphold these rules. He's going to work on the farms. He's going to have a trade school, and he's going to learn, learn a trade. So was the, the work thought of as part of the education, like yes. teaching the value of work? I mean, yes, it was. It was to, and, and boys, uh, 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 sort of the boys, a lot of the boys liked the farm work because it gave them something to do. It gave them a sense of purpose. In that regard, I think it was beneficial. And in fact, in surveys in the 40s and the 50s, the boys found the farm work, some of the boys found the farm work to be um, one of the best parts of the school. Um, others, you know, I, I, th I think that there were a lot of people that, that thought he, he, he had, it, it did give him some labor that, that, that he could work, work on. The f work. What kind of education did they get there? So um, he, he was clear that he was not, he, he was pretty smart about the school, I believe. I, he, he's almost smarter than, I think, the t today's uh, uh, leaders. You say he was not very well educated, though. Milton was Milton, not, yeah. no. Um, you know, I, I think he believed that they were going to go to the school and they were going to learn a trade, and at 18 they were going to get out of the school and they were either going to go work for one of his interests or they were going to go work in Lancaster or someplace else doing blue-collar work. He was uh, pretty adamant that... And, and this was smart, and I think this is, exists to this day, that when you come from a poor family, um, it, 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 there is no support network for you f to go to college. It, first off, you've got to pay for college, and then you've got to get the clothing and the books, and then what are you going to do in the summer? So he wanted the kids, he, he, he wanted, he, they worked on his farm, they learned the, worth at, the value of work, which was good, um, uh, and then when they were out, they had a skill. And, you know, he had, he had probably one of the best tech, tech programs in the country. In fact, it was really highly regarded. So a lot of success stories? There were a lot of success stories at that time, yes. And, um, you know, I, I think where he, you know, the, the problem was I don't know why he had to indenture them. I mean, it, gave, it just took so much power away from the mother. Um, uh, it, it allowed him to send the child back if they didn't they didn't behave so it, 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 or they wouldn't work, um, which you know they, they guess they weren't living up to the program. So How many he, kids were at the school? You know it was not a very big school. In, in 19, I think in 1923, when the IRS said yes, Milton, you can put all your assets into this uh, trust for this orphanage, um, and we'll give you t tax breaks for it. Uh, they valued the they valued his assets at $60 million, which was a lot in 1923. I think he only had about 100 to 150 kids there at that How time. How many now? There's about 2,000 there now. 2,000, yes. And how does that, I mean, the amount of money they have available to educate 2,000 kids, how does that compare to any other school? So, um, I mean, it's, you know, it's outrageously wealthy. It's absurdly wealthy. <laughs> do they, they, do they consciously wealthy. limit it at 2,000 kids, or is there some other mechanism that keeps it from growing? So, I mean, I, I, I think you have to, uh, there, there's, there's a lot of mechanisms that, that keep it from growing. 
let, let me say that it's 2,000 kids, but it's that makes it the largest boarding school in America and um, well, the richest private school in America. Um, so there was a period that in which um, in the 1960s, and I go through this in the, in the book, which goes through the corruption uh, between the trust and the state politicians in which they diverted orphan funds that were supposed to go towards impoverished kids and orphans to the Derry Medical Center as they were trying to diversify the economy out in Hershey. Um, the trust itself went through a rough economic period, I would say 1968 to 80 in which they did not grow the kids, the, the, the enrollment the way it should have. They had capped it at 1,600 children, boys, but they never reached 1,600 boys. It was around 1,200 and then 1,000. By 1999, it was like 1,000 kids with like four or four and a half billion dollars in assets. And at that point, even the state, when they went to divert more money out of the trust to for a research institute, instead of educating poor kids, um, Everybody agreed that it was incredibly under-enrolled. They were failing to deploy these assets to help impoverished kids, which is what they had said that they were going to do, which is what Milton Hershey's trust said they should do with the assets. He is very explicit in the trust. You are not to use it for anything other than helping orphan boys, which they then included white, white boys. But then they, they adjusted the trust to include uh, uh, you know, boys of any gender and girls of any gender. and it didn't even have to be orphans. It could have just been poor kids that you know qualified under their rules, but they just didn't grow. The, they just didn't grow the the base, the enrollment base. They didn't they didn't add the houses. They couldn't get the kids out there. They just found all these excuses. Um, you know, when Milton started it, it was a farm school, right? He took kids out there to work on his farms and to learn a trade. By the 1980s and the 1990s. It, it, it was, it was you, you weren't going out there to work on the farms. You were going out there to live, right? And a lot of poor kids, they just don't want to leave their house. A lot of poor parents don't want to send their, 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 kid, their children away. And when they do go away, they're homesick. So they have this um, systematic problem of getting kids out there, even though they got all this money, these gorgeous landscapes, these gorgeous buildings, all this money that they're spending to educate them, $100,000, $110,000 a year. The kids get out there and they're homesick. <laughs> um, Has there ever been any talk of opening campuses in other places, like closer to the homes of some of the poor kids? There was a there was a brief period in the 1990s, where uh, in the early 2000s, where uh, uh, Bill Lepley, which was a former head of the school and head of the trust from Iowa, from the Midwest, was not from Hershey, said he he didn't believe that you could grow the school in Hershey, and in fact. Most experts, nearly all experts, um, don't believe that to, to, to aggregate poor kids in one setting is the right way to go. In fact, that hasn't really been that hasn't been part of the American educational system since the Depression or something. I mean, we the, the society now tries to keep kids next to their family, near their family, educate them around the people with whom they're going to be living the rest of their lives with, not taking them from Philadelphia Row House or the Northeast or wherever, New York, and take them out to Hershey, educate them till they're 18, and then send them back to wherever they're going to go. They, at this point, they've broken the bonds, the family bonds, and 
they're homesick while they're there. You know, it's it's just a whole host of problems. And um, you know, it's 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 the it's it's the belief that um, I don't know if it's the belief, but I mean, one of my points in the book is, you know, if Hershey educates all the kids in Hershey, all the money stays in Hershey. Uh, the school staffs it, itself in Hershey. It, it builds the buildings in Hershey. It has the house parents in Hershey. It has, you know, everything. All the money stays there, and you know, I think that's a big issue. That uh, 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 Milton said, he, you know, he wanted a school in Dauphin County or Derry Township. Well, in 1910, he was building the town of Hershey, which was just a bunch of farmland. That's what he. That's what he said. The world changes, and uh, there's just really no way that this $16 billion school can, can it, it seems to me, uh, uh, realize its potential in Hershey. It doesn't even seem to me like Hershey wants poor kids there. I mean, if you go on Hershey websites or, or anything, when you think of Hershey, you don't think of poor kids. But that the Hershey Company, Hershey Entertainment, the town of Hershey, it's all effectively owned by this institution that's supposed to help impoverished kids. Where do you see that? Where is that on a billboard? <laughs> well, do do, do the, the students at the school mingle with everybody in town? Or is there kind of a separate place for the kids? No, it seems, you know, you know I think um, it doesn't seem to me like they mingle, no. It seems to me like the, ta the, the, the school is like, is is apart from the town. I mean, downtown Hershey is not like a quaint little town now. It's it's like uh, I don't know. Have you been there? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really like it's full of traffic. People don't really live there. I mean, there are some of these older streets, whatever. Some of the wealthier executives live. Some of the trust still owns the, the, those properties, but the kids live on. They're almost like Toll Brothers subdivisions outside of town. So they don't live out on farms anymore? <laughs> no, the farms have been, you know, there's the farms are still owned by the trust, but they've been but now they're farmed by, you know, corporate farmers. They're leased out. And the the kids live uh, the the students live in them. Now I I call, I mean, you go in there. They got like granite countertops. They're huge gorgeous buildings uh, with about 10 to 10 to 10 kids at a home. Where do they find the house parents? They find they they find them you know in central Pennsylvania they they advertise for them and they've had a lot of problem with turnover because you're you're what you're watching you know you're watching a lot of kids and uh, especially if you're watching and, and and the parent and I think the parents of the kids can be difficult I think the parents sort of think that I'm sending my child to this uh, I think it's a big step for parents to send their kids to Hershey you know we have this simple simple I think we have this simple view. $12 billion institution to educate poor kids. Well, when you actually go about trying to execute that plan in a, in a rural setting uh, on a, uh, in, in an institution, it becomes very complicated really quickly. And, and you know, they, they recruit, you know, they, they direct mail and advertise in, in poor areas around the state because they need poor, low income. But they also rigor, rigorously screen kids Right? They want they have a certain IQ, they can't be tr in trouble, they can't have learning disabilities, no handicaps. What's the age group that they accept? Well, it's K through 12. I mean, so they accept, I would say K through 9. 
you know, they might accept a 10th grader every now and then, but... So six-year-old might be sent off to live yeah. at the school. But, 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 but they have a hard time recruiting the young kids because the parents don't want to send them. And I think they have the, the best luck with, say, the seventh through ninth graders, sixth through ninth graders, because then the parents, the, the, the child's older, he's not going to be in a, in, a, in a group setting where he could be bullied or molested. Are they um, there year-round? Or do they go home during the summer? No, they, they can go they can they can go home year, year, during the summer. But there is um, there is uh, 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 if they can't go home, they they can stay there. But very few do. For instance, I, I just saw that like Easter. Okay, the kids can go home for holidays, but they they aren't allowed to go, come and go. They, they you know they, there's you can go now and you got to come back now or or you're going to get in trouble. Um, like 22 kids couldn't go home for Easter. Right, so whatever family circumstances, so those are you know those are probably the poorest, the most needy of the kids out there, um, and to some degree that's maybe the kids that they should be caring more for, um, the kids that have no place else to go, but they but they but they recruit, um, you know, uh, kids with parents, and it's really just an income based. Thing. You mentioned a couple of minutes ago the hospital, the, yes. the Dairy Hospital or Hershey Penn State Hospital. Can you explain how that came to be and, and is there a problem with how it happened? Yeah, I think there's a huge problem with it, the, the medical center. I think, I, I think that may be one of the, look, I, I'm not an expert in Cypre, which is, you know, if you have a lot of money and you have, um, this is a legal field, if, you have, if a person leaves a lot of money for a specific purpose, the, the, the trustees that come later have to spend the money on that purpose legally. That started in uh, early English times. That's what this is. So Hershey left all his assets to orphan boys, white, fatherless, white, healthy orphan boys. Um, and they worked on the farm that was integrated into his, his business. Um, and he was uneducated, and he, and he definitely seemed to ha like them. They called them his boys. And, you know, I would say by the late 50s, he died in 45, by the late 50s, the early 1960s, pretty much all of his confidence had died or retired. In fact, it was pretty clear around 59, they all, they all went. So a whole new generation of people took over the trust. And these were actually college-educated people, Sam Hinkle and others. He's the president of the chocolate company. They, they were looking at the fact that they had a lot of money and they had a lot of surplus that they hadn't spent on their kids through World War II and the 1950s. And what were they going to do with it? The trust says, you got you to educate orphan boys. <laughs> That's what it says. Um, but there was a movement inside the trust to uh, deviate the money, to break the money out into another purpose. Um, and, you know, based on the little we have seen of what Hinkle wrote was uh, they realized they could have broadened the definition of the eligible student to it was if, to uh, a divorce kid a child of a boy of a divorced family a boy of a single parent you could have opened it to to african-american boys black boys you could have opened it to girls but they didn't they didn't you know they didn't they didn't consider that they just kept the white fatherless boys and then they started talking about what other purposes they could do it they could they could uh, put the money towards that these, these surplus, and they came upon um, the you know they came upon the medical center. They knew the Penn State was trying to professionalize. Penn State was looking to open a law school. They were looking to open a medical school. 
you know, Penn State was uh, pretty much into a lot of agriculture, and they were trying to, in the post-World War II, trying to become more professional. Um, and they just went about, uh, uh, I would say, deviously, secretly, uh, uh, putting the pieces in place to, to, to basically take those $50 million of orphans' funds, which was, I think, more than half the surplus, and build the medical center. And they did it without any public uh, announcement. They did it, uh, uh, they had this uh, very powerful and uh, clever lawyer, uh, Gil Norick, who was head of the Pennsylvania Bar Association at one time. He came up with a legal argument, and they met secret privately with the Supreme Court judge. They met privately with the Attorney General. They met privately with the, with the Orphans Court judge. And they, then they just announced it. We're going to do this, because there's not enough orphan boys in America to, to care with the, with the funds that we have. Now, it's just ridiculous, right? E even everybody <laughs> knows that there was a lot of poverty in America in 1963. Um, and if they were so sure what they were doing was right, why didn't they go public about it as they were preparing this? Um, and what I did was uh, I went back and went through the court documents. I got some oral histories. I mean, they bragged about this years later, about how devious they were. Um, and, uh, you know, I put together the timeline, and uh, I showed that there was, a there was a lot of need in America for, for, for caring for impoverished boys, but they just, you know, ignored it. I, I, you know, I, to this day, I mean, the Derry Medical Center is based on, um, was built with orphan funds that should not have been used for that purpose. And they gave it and as a gift to Penn State? What they did was, it appeared that, they were they were going to try to get out of the the uh, um, the orphan care business. It, it, based on my my look at it, okay, um, it, 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 Milton Hershey established this technical school, a trade school for orphan boys. By the 1960s, I don't think they wanted to be be, be known as a, Hershey wanted to be known as a you know being having the largest most sophisticated trade school for orphan boys that lived on farms. They were trying to go upscale, like everybody goes upscale, right? They wanted to diversify the economy, get into healthcare, get into other stuff. Um, and um, so what they did was they took the orphan, they took the $50 million and they moved it into this foundation that was still part of the trust, which was funding the community college, uh, which was, you know, like a very practical college that Milton Hershey started. They used that money and the farms to build the hospital. Well, it turns out, so, and so they were going to build it and Penn State was going to run it. Penn State was going to put its name, basically brand it, and they were going to finance it and still control it. And so that would sort of give them a way of maybe getting into health care, more health care. Well, it turns out that they terribly underestimated how much it would cost to build a, a world-class teaching hospital um, and run it because they said they were going to endow it and run it. So they, they were going to put like $20 million to run it and $30 million to, you know, for an endowment to run it. Well, it turns out that they just underestimated terribly. They they weren't. They didn't know how to build a hospital. Um, they ran out of money very quickly, and by 1968, they basically just said, "We got to get out of this because it's going to drain the orphans' fund dry." Um, and so uh, the federal government was starting to uh, in, uh, build hospitals, 
And so, but they wouldn't build a hospital that was owned by a foundation like Hershey because they'd say, well, the foundation owns the money. They don't want you go to get the money from the foundation, the, the, the trust, the foundation. But that's orphans money, right? So they just totally carved the, the asset off from the trust and gave it to Penn State. <laughs> so they intended to run it. They intended it to be sort of part of the bigger entity. But, you know, they just mismanaged it and uh, they gave it away. You know, I think that there, there are so many bad things about this that, that it's almost hard, hard to start to, to explain it. You know, the orphan's money shouldn't have gone towards the medical center. They opened the medical center, and they never negotiated giving the kids care, okay? Like, you figure this is an orphan. We're giving you these orphans assets, and you're going to build the hospital, Penn State. Well, you know, maybe for the next 20 years we get free care for our kids, for the kids to go to the school. They, ne they never did that. The secretive nature of it, of, of the diversion, because now the orphan's court, now there was a process, right, the orphans court had bought into this well there's maybe too much money here to help poor kids you know that sort of gets in people's heads now um, and then they could go back and re and revisit this this process and divert more money out which is what they did in 1999 so you know they basically were trying they basically were taking stealing diverting money away from impoverished kids through this process now you talk about other things that they spent money on. You mentioned a golf course a little bit earlier on, and um, the Hershey, the amusement park, the gardens, the hotel. Right. Are those all? I mean, could they be interpreted as just sound business decisions, investing in things that might turn a profit? So, you know, um, one of the fascinating parts of the book, and I think it's uh, underappreciated, and most people w won't really care about it. But when they diverted the money out for the medical college, they knew they couldn't get out of orphan care because Milton Hershey's name was associated with orphan care. So, um, so they came up with this uh, concept which was called part, part, partial failure of the trust. There's a partial failure. We have a lot of money. We have too much money to care for poor kids, and poor boys in, in, in Hershey. But we think there, there are boys that we can bring to Hershey so we're going to carve some of it off, and we're going to use some to, to, to still care for kids here. And, the, and they told the judge, we're going to, we're going to educate 1,600 kids. So we're going to build the hospital, but we're going, to, we're going to keep the school going. We're going to even modernize it and upgrade it, and we're going to enroll 1,600 kids forever. right? And so that was good headlines. Getting the, the towns, get, central Pennsylvania is getting a new hospital. Harrisburg didn't have one. And uh, we're going to, keep, we're going, we're going to uh, continue with the orphan care. So it sort of satisfies everybody. The problem was, so they underestimated how much it would cost to, to build a hospital. So then they carved that off to Penn State. And then Hershey Chocolate ran into a lot of problem, financial problems because Mars was growing. They were in the flat bar market. They never developed you know, a Snickers-type product or anything like that. And, and everybody was getting into chocolate, these conglomerates. And so they actually had to cut their dividend. So while they said in 63 they were going to enroll 1,600 kids forever, and that was going to be the orphan mission, that was going to be the target, the trust itself actually fell into ba bad financial straits, and they never reached the 1,600 kids. They, um, they hit like 1,500 in 1972, and then they started cutting the dividend, and then the, the enrollment kept on falling. The dividend was what the 
school lived on? Right. The dividend was the main source of income, the dividend from the chocolate company, because the, the school owned the shares, right? I think it was like 80% of the shares. So that was the cash flow. But once the you know profits started falling out the company and they had to cut. And, you know. So um, you would think at that time, not only were they building the medical center, but now um, in the early 70s, they also started to get into the tourism business, right? Milton had started this Hershey Park in, right down there in downtown Hershey. And it was like one of those parks that you'd go to more like on a boardwalk, right? You'd go, you'd wander onto it, and you'd buy a ride for a nickel or a dime or whatever, a roller coaster ride, and you'd sort of hang out, and then you'd leave. You know, sometimes the orphans would meet their mothers there and hang out there on Sunday afternoon. Uh, uh, Friday afternoon, they'd take the kids down there, and they could hang out. It was cheap. Um, and the townspeople could use it. Well, by the late 60s, 70s, they, they were thinking, this is, people are coming out from Philadelphia and New York, and, um, and they had a pool. Um, we're going to make this like part of a, an attraction. So they, they, they fenced it off and charged admission, and they started upgrading it. Well, they put, were putting money. The trust owned it, right, just like they owned the chocolate company. Um, and they sold off assets and, and, and built it. Well, when the chocolate company ran into hard times, they should have been doing everything they could to find assets to preserve that 1600 target because that's what they told the attorney general they were going to do that's what they told the orphans court they were going to do but instead they were putting money into the, to the amusement park and keeping the enrollment down building it up building the tourism industry so now they had a medical industry that, were, that was basically subsidized by the trust orphan money and now you had a, an amusement business a tourism business that was also subsidized by the trust if it wasn't returning profits to help run the school, which it wasn't. It was, they were taking assets. They were taking land, like the Hershey Lodge. That was former land from the trust that kids lived on. And, and, and you know, the automobile association, the Antique Automobile Association, they would hold, a, a, they had a headquarters there, and that was a former land that the trust owned. You also so, write about um, so let, let, me, let me finish this point. So. Pretty much in the, um, the Hershey Park, Hers Hershey Entertainment and Resort Company, very rarely returns profits to the school. It is it, because they always look at the chocolate company and their stock portfolio as the big bang where you can get the, the most money. Well, what they do is they keep on plowing the profits back into Hershey Entertainment. So it's sort of like a, they call it, oh, it's a self-supporting company. It, it supports itself. But that's not what companies should do. If you're, an, if you're a family and you own an amusement park, you expect money to come back to you, right? It supports your lifestyle. You, you own a boat. You own a house. You own cars. You're raising kids, right? The business supports the owner. That's not what happens here. Hershey Entertainment just exists to support Hershey Entertainment. And there's a lot of benefits that come with that, right? They can lobby, po politically lobby, right? because it's a profit for-profit company so that 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 gives the trust political uh, influence you are building new parks right you're building new attractions so that's construction uh, all sorts of you know all this money spins off of it and nothing goes back to the school the, the amusement park business is fabulously profitable I cover um, Comcast, you know, what I do. My real job is to cover uh, telecommunications for the, for the Inquirer. So, um, you know, I followed 
of what has happened with NBC Universal, right? They bought these theme parks, they didn't even know if they wanted them. But then they got them and they saw that they were great businesses. And the theme park business for Comcast has basically tripled its profits, its cash flow back to the corporation since 2009. From like 400 million to like 1.2 billion. Houghton Hershey, the money never, they just keep on building the amusement parks, but it never sort of flows back to the school. It's, it's you know, it's, it's again, great for jobs, a lot of jobs, a lot of construction, a lot of uh, traffic, a lot of parking revenue, and a lot of tax receipts. Everybody seems to make it, but the, everybody seems to benefit from Hershey Entertainment, but the kids well, if the school, in the school. <laughs> if the school had more money, what would they do with it? Well, what you'd have to do is uh, they'd have to find a way to achieve the mission, which is helping impoverished kids. I mean, not in Hershey, right? It, open a chain of schools. O bring, bring the services to where the kids are. Um, for instance, I mean, the model, I think, for them would be Boys Town, right? I, I don't know if you ever heard of Boys Town, but that's a, it was big when we were young. Spencer um, Tracy movie. Spencer Tracy movie, right. So, I mean, um, that was the same model as Hershey, right? It, the trade school for orphan boys, and um, it was out Omaha, right outside of Omaha, right? And they raised money from mail-ins. They didn't have the Hershey Chocolate Company to finance, but they had their method was direct mail to millions of Americans, and millions of Americans would send 10 or 20 bucks every Christmas to them. And so they made a lot of money. Warren Buffett, as publisher of The Sun, they actually did a, a, a series of stories on Boys Town in the, in the early 70s saying they, they had a stockpile of all this money, and they weren't, they weren't actually delivering. They weren't helping boys like they said they were. And so they have reformed themselves. They care for, I, I want to say, 20,000, 30,000 kids. Their money reaches 20 or 30,000 kids because they have kept this campus where you only have the very needy, like a special group of kids that really need to be taken out of their home and put there and cared for. And then the, the rest of the money goes, you know, around. It goes to communities. You could finance charter schools. I mean, you could do all sorts of things. You know, it, it, they have changed the trust so many times. But, the, but, you know, what they typically stick with is, oh, the school's got to be in Derry Township. Well, look, he, he said he wanted it in Derry Township when he had 10,000 acres of dairy farms. And he had these farms integrated into his chocolate plant. And the kids were, were, were living on the farms and going to school. Well, that's not, that situation doesn't exist anymore. Who makes up the trust? The people on the board. Yeah. So. I mean, so, how is it decided who's on there? Well, it's a self it's a self-perpetuating board. So, you know, the core, the key pro fundamental problem, and this was in the uh, uh, review of the Chronicle of Philanthropy yesterday, is that um, because this charity is so old, I mean, he started in 1909, before really there were even charitable laws in America. And so he used the laws that existed. And so these, this, the structure of the charity is grandfathered into that era. 1910, 1909. And so, it, and he, it appeared that Milton wanted to both control his assets and control his charity, the orphanage, while giving it all away. In other words, he wanted to give all his assets to the charity, the chocolate company and the town and everything else, but he still wanted to control the chocolate company and the town, and he wanted to control the charity, right? So that's like, have your cake and eat it too. 
well, he was a pretty clever, shrewd businessman. So he had a bank, the Hershey Trust Company Bank, Hershey Trust Company. It's like a, like a bunch. There's all these trust companies around Pennsylvania. There's Bryn Mawr Trust, right? You might know them. Um, and he owned that bank. So what he did was he said, I'm going to give my give, going to give all my assets to the orphanage, and I'm going to appoint my bank as the trustee of those of those assets. And since I control the bank, I will still control those assets because I'm the bank president. And and that bank has a board, like any bank board, right? Like any like any corporation board. And so and I'm the chairman of that board. And then he says in the trust. I'm going to appoint, a, this board, this bank board is going to appoint the board of that charity. And by the way, it can only be the same people. In other words, I can appoint myself and he can appoint himself. Or we can all appoint ourselves to this board, but we can't appoint anybody else. So he controls the assets through the bank, and then he controls the charity through the bank, the school, the, the orphanage's board, which he appoints. And that's still the situation that exists today, okay? So you have this small Pennsylvania bank. The Hershey Trust Company. It's still there. It's still there. It still exists. And it still controls the chocolate company, Hershey Entertainment, and it appoints the board of the Hershey School. Who, who appoints the board <laughs> of the chocolate company? Or who decides who runs the chocolate company? Well, they control the chocolate company. The board of the trust. The, 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 the trust, right? Oh. The trust as an entity mm -hmm. controls it. But they, but they have appointed um, a corporate board that's independent of the trust to run it so that it complies with Securities and Exchange Commission rules and, 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 and complies with independent director rules. So you actually have an independent board on the, Hershey, on the Hershey Chocolate Company because it is required by the federal government regulations to be independent. But everything else, the Hershey Trust Company Bank, the, uh, the school, Hershey Entertainment, those are private boards controlled through Hershey Trust Company. And according to your book, the people who are on the board of the trust are pretty well compensated. Yes. I mean, it might be the best compensated, best compensated charitable board in America. How much um, do they get paid? Well, they get paid as sort of a base. I mean, they have gotten paid as a base like $100,000. Now, uh, 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 after my articles in the Enquirer, uh, the Attorney General opened up a, uh, an investigation into both the purchase of the golf course and the compensation. And in uh, uh, 2013, Kathleen Kane reached a settlement where they were going to bring that compensation down. How much work is involved in being on the board? <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a charitable board. It's, it's I don't know, I, I think they meet eight, ten times a year. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's not a daily job, maybe five hours a week, something like that. But look, it's a charity. It's a, it's, it, it, you're supposed to be giving up. You're supposed to be helping poor kids. But what they've been able to do is they've been saying, well, this is not really technically a charity, okay? This is a trust company, a for-profit trust company. So we, we can make money. Like we can be paid based on what other banks pay their directors. Even though the only reason why they're on that board is to run the school and watch over its assets. That's the grandfathering part. I don't understand how the IRS has let it happen. There's a couple of things we want to talk about before we run out of time. First of all, how is the education that the students are getting now? What's the quality of the education? You said that it had been a trade school and they converted it to more of a college? 
prep school. Prep right. school, and how are they doing in college? You know, I, I think that the teachers there are really well-meaning, and I think they try hard. But I mean, I, my book and my reporting, um, I am not criticizing the staff there. Uh, the house parents, uh, the teachers, I think they try their best. I think, that, I think they do a, a great job. I think there are a lot of challenges with this population of kids. Um, but, um, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't view the education as remarkable at all. I mean, I, 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 the, the main administrator between 2002 and 2008 was a, a corporate consultant, um, and he had a lot of alumni administrators. The next uh, uh, head of the school was a public school superintendent, and he brought a public school curriculum guy that, that worked at this school that he was at, which was in actually a relatively well-off town in central Pennsylvania. I think it's very similar to a public school education. I, I don't believe it's like, you know, it doesn't seem to me like they're surrounding these kids with services so that they get help. I mean, I, I mean, I, I've been told by kids out there that, that, you know, that they don't even give like SAT training to, uh, you know, preparation to all the, all, all the kids. I mean, it, 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 there is no like Hershey model. It's a $12 billion school for impoverished kids, but there is no model that I can, I can determine. I mean, it's been, they've been doing it for 100 years, and it seems similar to a, a public school to me. Did anybody who refused to talk to you when you were doing this book? Oh, well, I mean, the trust did not talk to me. Oh, they didn't? I mean, they talked to me. Um, they were talking to me when I did my Inquirer stories. And then when I, when I did the book and I said, this is my conclusion after going through all these court documents and land records and talking to insiders and I, I want to sit down and talk to the head of the trust about what I got what I what my view is and they said it was <laughs> they said that it was too late um, you know I, I find it remarkable that this is a 12 billion dollar uh, 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 institution for poor kids and you can never find the head of that institution talking about what what they do what their what their model is what their goals are it's all, they're always just talking through a spokesperson. I mean, you know, it's just. Can the idea, <laughs> can the idea of a boarding school for impoverished kids work in the 21st century? I mean, I, I, again, I, I, I said about how they started this Chapin Hall study. I don't know if you got to that part of the book. So at one point they were saying, okay, we got to spend all this money. Are we going to spend it in Hershey or are we going to spend it someplace else? So the guy at the time, Lepley, said, okay, let's do a study. What are our kids doing how, how, when they get here? How many are staying? And when they graduate, what are they doing? What is the, what, what is, it's like a drug test, right? Does the drug work? So he was going to sort of recreate, well, if you compare a kid that goes to Hershey or a kid that stays at their neighborhood school, who does better? Where, where are our strengths? And they were $2 million into this study. Could have been the best study of a boarding school environment for poor kids in the world because they had the money to do it. They just canceled it um, and they decided just to spend all their money in Hershey. You know, I, I think it's very, I think it's, it's clearly an open question as to whether a boarding school for poor kids benefits poor kids. Um, I, you know, I think that you, you, the institution needs to be more transparent. Needs, there just needs to be a lot of things. At one point in your book, the, the uh, 
board of the chocolate company wants to sell the chocolate company. Yes. There's a big uproar in town. And you say that essentially as a result of that, Mike Fisher, who was attorney general, then ousted the board. Yes. And installed another board. Did that clean things up? And how does the attorney general have the authority to do that? So um, the attorney general has, a, you know, almost total control over charities through its, uh, with this legal doctrine called parents patriae. It is the public parent of a charity, particularly one like Hershey, where, um, you know, there is nobody that has the strength to sue, the money to sue, nor the standing to sue. It is the attorney general that can go in there and clean things up. So, um, um, sort of, sort of I, th I, think, I think the fast answer to your question is, Fisher and the Orphan's Court did that, okay? The Orphan's Court is sort of like, the Orphan's Court actually makes it happen. The Attorney General sort of tells the Orphan's Court, this is what you need to do. The Attorney General is the investigative part, makes the conclusion, then the Orphan's Court takes his recommendation or does not, but then sort of makes it happen at the court level. Um, and yeah, they, 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 they totally uh, uh, redid the board in 2002, and it, it, it was not an improvement because what happened then was that they politicized the trust board. You brought in a, so up until that time, it had been, you know, Milton Hershey ran it, he passed it along to his confidence, confidants, and then they self-perpetuated and then they put new people on. And it, you know, I mean, it, it, it was a mess of, you know, you wouldn't say it was great that whole time, right? Because they did the, the, the medical center, they, they didn't enroll the kids like they could have and this and that. But it was still privately run. It was privately controlled. When Fisher and the, uh, Judge Morgan uh, basically seized the board, they politicized it by putting um, you know, a powerful Republican on that trust board, which was Roy Zimmerman, who was a two-term attorney general, very powerful Republican in central Pennsylvania. And they put the publisher of uh, the Patriot News and some other Republican uh, uh, people uh, along with some alumni. And what you saw after that Zimmerman was you saw Tom Ridge join the Chocolate Company board. You just saw this politicalization of the charity because there's a lot of money there. There's a lot, you can do a lot of money. You can do, make a lot of, there's compensation, there's development and all that. I mean, it t today, you know, J John S. There's, 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 there's more political operatives involved in the charity now. Well, we're really just scratching the surface of this story, yeah. but if you want to know the rest of it, we're out of time, <laughs> so you'll have to read the book. And this is the cover of the book, The Chocolate Trust, Deception, Indenture, and Secrets at the $12 Billion Milton Hershey School. Bob Fernandez, thank you very much. Thank you, Brian. You've been listening to a podcast of PA Books, a production of PCN, the Pennsylvania Cable Network. We'd like to hear from you. Our email address is pabooks at pcntv.com. Like us on Facebook to learn more about PA Books.